If you got your Bible, go to the book of Exodus. Exodus chapter 19. Exodus 19 verse 3. Let us pray. Father God, in the name of Jesus, God, please help us to focus on your word, to focus on your truth, God, to be moved and motivated by it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Exodus 19, starting at verse 3. Picking up with the same thing we started on last week about trying to understand some of the things that the church is supposed to do by following what Israel was called to do but failed to do. And in Exodus 19.3 says, Moses went up unto God and the Lord called unto him out of the mountain saying, Thus shalt thou say to the house of Jacob and tell the children of Israel, you have seen what I did unto the Egyptians and how I bear you on eagle's wings and brought you unto myself. Now, therefore, if you will obey my voice indeed and keep my covenant, then you shall be a peculiar treasure unto me above all people. For all the earth is mine and you shall be unto me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words which thou shalt speak unto the children of Israel. Oh, this is the children of Israel's commission. Last week we talked about them being called or separated as a peculiar treasure chosen above all people that gave them a status with God different from everybody else in the nation. It was God's special treasure, his choice Jews. And that's who we are. And he adds to that in verse six. And he said, you shall be a kingdom unto me, a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. So along with them being God's choice Jews, along with them being God's special people, he called them a kingdom of priests. A kingdom of people who serve and minister to God. So this is a part of the description of what Israel was supposed to be. They were supposed to be a nation, a dominion filled with priests to serve and minister to God and the rest of the people. And to tie this all in, go back to Genesis chapter 12. Genesis chapter 12 verse 1. We made reference to this a little bit last week. It says, Now the Lord said unto Abram, Get thee out of thy country and from thy kindred and from thy father's house unto a land that I will show thee. And I will make of thee a great nation. And I will bless thee and make thy name great. And thou shalt be a blessing. And I will bless them that bless thee and curse him that cursed thee. And in thee shall all the families of the earth be blessed. So if we get this full picture, God in his calling of Abraham promised Abraham that a nation is going to arise from him. And in the arising of this nation from him, he's going to make him a great name and he's going to make him a blessing. And he adds to that in verse three, he says, in thee, in you, Abraham, shall all the nations of the earth be blessed. So there's something about the unfolding of the plan of the promise of God to Abraham that brings blessing to a whole entire world. And if we understand the role of the priesthood or Israel being a priest, we can see a, a glimpse of that because the priest stands before God on the behalf of the people. They're somewhat like a mediator. And in the blessings and all the benefits of the relationship of God to the nation come through the priest and the priest extend those things to the people. So the being a nation of a priesthood 
Israel was supposed to be in a position where they brought the blessings of God to the whole entire world. That's what they were called to be. God's priests, God's ministers that brought blessings from God to the entire world. But as we read the history of Israel, they ain't never quite do that. But we see this picture flown of them supposed to be a priesthood throughout the scripture. We're just going to take a couple. Go to Isaiah chapter 61. Isaiah 61, we'll start at verse 1. It says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because the Lord hath anointed me to preach good tidings unto the meek. He hath sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of prisons to them that are bound, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord, and the day of the vengeance of our God, to comfort all that mourn, to appoint unto them that mourn in Zion, to give unto them beautiful ashes, the oil of joy for mourning, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness, that they might be called the trees of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he might be glorified. Now this is the scripture that Jesus applied to himself when he was on the planet. Said he was the fulfillment of this. So God anointed him to do all these things, to preach this good news, to bring all these blessings, to bring all this restoration to the people. And in the end of that, when he's talking about giving you the beauty, giving you the joy, giving you the garment of praise, and this, comp- this transformation that is supposed to take place because of what he brought, this year of jubilee that set everybody free, he says that they might be called the trees of righteousness. So the outwork of him doing his work is that those who he set free, those who he liberate, those who he put his joy on, they become trees of righteousness. So they're planted as righteous trees, the planktons of, of God. So that there's a garden that God is crafting and it's built of these people who he set free. And he said that he might be glorified. So our planting, our being the garden of God, us being trees of righteousness, bring glory to God. And that's the whole reason Christ did what he did. The things that we're supposed to be celebrating in this time of Passover, Easter, Ishtar, and all that other stuff. We are the outwork of God's work, and that work is us being planted as a garden that brings glory to God. So we are trees of righteousness. Now watch this. And they... Talking about these trees of righteousness, the ones that have been set free, the ones that received this joy, that's been liberated. Says, then they shall build the old oases, they shall raise up the form of desolations, they shall repair the waste cities, the desolations of many generations. And strangers shall stand and feed your flocks, and the sons of the aliens shall be your plowmen and the, your vine dressers, and you shall be named priests of the Lord. Men shall call you ministers of our God. You shall eat the riches of the Gentiles, and in their glory shall you boast yourselves. So we got this picture of restoration. But those who God has planted, those who he set free, they become the ones that build the waste places, that brings back the desolation, that do all the restoration in the midst of this time. So there's a period of, of heaviness, there's a period of down, there's a period where things have been destroyed, But when Christ plant his trees of righteousness, they will begin to bring restoration. They will build up the things that were torn down, the things that were wasted. This is what these restor, these are what these restored ones would do. They will bring restoration. And it says, strangers shall feed your flocks, the sons of the aliens shall be your plowmen and your vine dressers. So all the outsiders gonna come and they're gonna be work for you. He give this 
picture of restorations. And it's saying, you shall be named the priest of the Lord. So Christ took this picture and he presented it forward. That through his work, through his sacrifice, through his restoration of the people, through him bringing liberty to the people, the people will begin to rebuild, restore, and through that act of rebuilding and restoring, they shall be named the priest of the God, the priest of the Lord, ministers of God, because this is our destiny as the people of God, to serve God and to bring about restoration in the land as the priest of the Most High God. Let's flip over a little bit. And he's going to keep this thing going in, in chapter 66. Start at verse 15. It's like I said, this is a great chapter just to read the whole thing. So for behold, the Lord will come with fire and with his chariots like a whirlwind to render his anger with fury and his rebuke with flames of fire. For by fire and by his sword will the Lord plead with all flesh and the slain of the Lord shall be many. They that sanctify themselves and purify themselves in the gardens behind one tree in the midst Eating swine's flesh, the abomination in the mouse shall be consumed together, said the Lord. Now, this is not a pretty picture. It's, 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 he's giving a, a glimpse towards the end. So his time was coming that God's going to bring fire and he's just going to get destroyed. And he said those who will be slain by God, so the people who God going to kill, they're going to be many. And he started listening to people. So those who sanctify themselves and purify themselves in the garden behind one tree. So we take this picture of people sanctifying themselves and blending it with the picture of Adam and Eve. So you get the picture of somebody trying to make themselves right through covering or doing something in themselves. So it's, it's the self-righteous. So they sanctify themselves by covering behind one tree. So they hide and thinking like God ain't seeing what's really going on. The people who, what he said, eating, eating swine's flesh and the abomination in the mouth shall be consumed together. So we got this picture of all these people, basically folks who cut off and ain't doing what God wants them to do. They're going to be consumed. For I know their works and their thoughts, and it shall come that I will gather all nations and tongues, and they shall come and see my glory. So we get in this picture that this time is coming where God is going to restore. He's going to gather everybody together. Same picture that Jesus was talking about in his parables when he talks about the net going out and he gathering. And they just dragging the whole sea. He catching everything that's in there. And it's the picture that God is giving. And at the end times, he's going to get everybody. Nobody's going to be missed. And say, I will set a sign among them, and I will send those that escape of them unto the nations, to Tarshish, to Pool, to Lud, that draw the bow, to Tubal, and Jabin, to the isles afar off, that have not heard my fame, neither have seen my glory, and they shall declare my glory among the Gentiles. So in this restoration, in him collecting everybody, he's saying he's going to set a sign in the midst of them. And there's going to be some from this people that he's going to send out to declare his glory to all the nations. So there's a remnant in the midst of these people that's gathered for judgment. And in verse 20, and they shall bring all your brethren for an offering unto the Lord out of all nations upon horses and in chariots and in litters and upon mules and upon swift beasts to my holy mountain Jerusalem, said the Lord, as the children of Israel bring an offering in the clean vessel into the house of the Lord. And I will make also take of them for priests and for Levites, said the Lord. For as the new heavens and the new earth which I will make shall remain before me, said the Lord, so shall your seed remain. 
and your name remain. And it shall come to pass that from one new moon to another, from one Sabbath to another, shall all flesh come to worship before me, said the Lord. And they shall go forth and look upon the carcasses of them men that have transgressed against me. For their worms shall not die, neither shall their fire be quenched, and they shall be an abhorrent of all flesh. So we're given this picture of this end time restoration. And he's saying that once he gather these people, the people that he gather and call unto himself, they're going to be priests and Levites. So the destiny of those who are restored, the destiny of those who are liberated from this day of judgment is to serve as priests before God, to be Levites in the kingdom of God. And this is the work that God started way back when he called Abraham and he set him up to be a blessing to all nations. Then he separated Israel to be a kingdom of priests. This is the work that God is continuing all the way through to the book of Revelations. Go to Revelation. Revelation chapter 1. Revelations 1, we'll start at verse 4. Is it one revelation or is it revelations? Okay. <laughs> Starting at verse 4. Said John to the seven churches which are in Asia, grace be unto you and peace from him which is and which was and which is to come from the seven spirits which are before his throne and from Jesus Christ who is the faithful witness and the first begotten of the dead and the prince of the kings of the earth unto him that loved us and washed us from our sin in his own blood and hath made us kings and priests unto God and his father to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. So this is John's introduction and he get into Christ and what Christ did. And he said, Christ loved us, washed us from our sins in his own blood, and he made us kings and priests. So this is what Jesus did when he died on the cross, rose from the grave, and we believed in him. He loved us by dying. He washed us from our own sin through pouring out his blood before God. And he said he made us. So Christ did a work where he transformed us from some regular old people to kings and priests before God. So he took us and made us God's priests now. So what the Israels were supposed to be, we now are. Where Aaron and them was, we are. We are the priests, the servants of God. And we stand and we minister to God for the people. Just like Aaron and the Levites did. All the nation couldn't come before God. But once God separated his people as priests, they went before God on the behalf of the nations. And now we as this separated group connected with God, we have access to God that the rest of the world cannot get. And we serve as ministers to God. We are doing the deeds and the works and the service that God won't done on this planet for the behalf of the nations. This is who we are, the kingdom of priests unto God. And if we understand what it means to be a kingdom of priests, we can understand our role and how it is we're supposed to work and how it is we're supposed to operate in this nation. Are y'all tracking with me? One of the things that the priests do is serve, make an offering. Go to Exodus. And we ain't going to get too deep into this offering. Exodus chapter 30. We'll pull out one piece of it. Exodus chapter 30. Exodus 30, we'll start at verse 1. Just read the whole thing. It says, And thou shalt make an altar 
to burn incense upon, a shittim wood shalt thou make it, and a cubit shall be the length thereof, and a cubit the breadth thereof, four squares shall it be, and two cubits shall be the height thereof, and the horns thereof shall be of the same. And thou shalt overlay it with pure gold, the top thereof, and the sides thereof round about, and the horns thereof, and thou shalt make unto it a crown of gold round about. And two golden rings shalt thou make to it under the crown of it, by the two corners thereof, upon the two sides of it shalt thou make it. And they shall be for places for the staves to bear it withal. And thou shalt make the staves of shittim wood, and overlay them with gold. And thou shalt put it before the veil that is by the ark of the testimony, before the mercy seat that is over the testimony, where I will meet with thee. And Aaron shall burn thereon sweet incense every morning. When he dresseth the lamps, he shall burn incense upon it. And when Aaron lighted the lamps at even, he shall burn incense upon it, a perpetual incense before the Lord throughout your generation. You shall offer no strange incense thereon, no burnt sacrifices, nor meat offerings, neither shall you pour drink offerings thereon. And Aaron shall make an atonement upon the horns of it once a year with the blood of the sin offering of atonement. Once in the year shall he make atonement upon it throughout your generations. It is most holy unto the Lord. So we got here is the crafting of the altar. And most people refer to it as the altar of incense. Now, this is Aaron's duty. So they crafted this altar, placed it before the most holy place. And every morning when Aaron went in to do his service before the Lord, light the lamps, he had to burn incense on his altar. And in the evening time, when he come to do his service before the Lord, he had to burn incense on the altar. And God says it's supposed to be a perpetual thing. So you can almost get the picture of the smoke of this incense rising from in front of the holy place, going up to God all day. And this was Aaron's job. He's sending up these incense day by day, day by day. He going before God, making these incense morning and evening, sending it up. Now go to Revelation chapter five. Revelation chapter 5, we'll start at verse, we'll start at verse, oh man, 6. And this is John's vision of the, of the throne room of God. He's in, he see God's throne. And it says in verse 6, and I beheld and lo, in the midst of the throne and of the four beasts, and in the midst of the elders stood a lamb as it had been slain, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent forth into all the earth. And he came and took the book out of the right hand of him that sat upon the throne. And when he had taken the book, the four beasts and the four twenty elders fell down before the lamb, having every one of them harps and golden veils full of odors, which are the prayers of the saints. So the vision that God, that John gets of God's throne room, he got these elders and these four beasts and he see the lamb slain. The lamb slain once time offered himself in these beasts they're bringing. I mean, the elders have these lamps in their hands and it said they're full of odors. Another word for their odor is incense. So they're bringing before God these incense and offering them up into God. And John tells us that these incense that they're offering to God are the prayers of the saints. So he picks up on this theme 
that God designed Moses, told Moses to design the tabernacle. And in the tabernacle, before the very presence of God in the Holy Holies, you set up this altar of incense and I need it coming up all the time. Morning, evening, bring me these sacrifices. And now when we get a glimpse into the throne room of heaven, God has servants coming to him offering these incense, this sweet aroma, this, this sweet odor to God. And it's described as the prayers of the saints. So the prayers that we pray being the holy ones, the separated ones of God, come before God as a sweet odor, a sweet smell, an incense before him. So we do what Aaron was designed to do when we come before God in prayer. When we lift up our voice to him in prayer, in intercession, we are doing what it was that, that, that Aaron was called to do. We're fulfilling a priesthood duty because God takes delight in that. And we're offering incense before God in our prayers. It's something a sweet aroma. Now, why God like to hear our prayer? I have no idea. But it's something he delights in and he compares it to an incense. Something that's sweet smelling and burning before him. The same thing that he required that Aaron bring before his altar all the time. So when we serve in prayer, so if we get an understanding, if we connect these two, if we are the priests of the Most High God, if we are a kingdom of priests, us as a church should be a people of prayer. And we should be having these incense going up before God morning and evening because this is what the priests do. They sent up incense before God and our prayers are our incense. So this should be a part of our identity as God's people. Let's go to Exodus, I mean Numbers chapter 16 and give an example of why this is important. How does this play out in the world? So we're going to take an example, a couple examples. Number 16. Starting at verse 44. Number 16, 44. All right, and what we have here, number 16, like I said, to get the background, is this dude, Korah. And he was one of the sons of the Levites. And so he had a little role in the kingdom because they were the priestly people. But he got in his idea that Moses and Aaron then elevated themselves above everybody. And so he get a band of folks together like, man, what's wrong with Moses and them? They think they special. They ain't nobody special. We Levites too. We priests too. God talked to us too. And so they were coming. And he got a band of them together. So they came to put Moses in his place. And when they come putting Moses in his place, Moses just cow on down like a little punk and start praying. <laughs> and God set up this scenario where everybody get their incense and God is going to show who God's man is. And so the scene get deep. God do his thing. Now Korah them got all their troops together. They give their incense. Now God give Moses this idea and he let them know that he finna do something special. So Moses get Korah and all his people that ride with him. They stand before the, the tent. They get gathered together. And Moses stand up before the people and give a crazy declaration. Like, hey, God finna do something y'all ain't never seen before. And if these people don't die, I mean, if they die a regular death, 
then I ain't God's servant. Now that seemed a bit crazy. And the amazing thing happened. God opened up the ground and swallowed all them um, whole. And they died. Uh, not a regular death. I ain't never seen no death like that before in my whole life where the ground swallows a person. <laughs> and so after they get swallowed, the people go crazy. And they tripping on Moses like, man, what kind of dude Moses is? And they get to yapping. So the rebellion of Korah and spread through the camp. Now they get to talking about Moses and how crazy it is. And like, man, what Moses? He like, I guess they thought he was some type of wizard or witch or some type of thing. Cause Moses did something that ain't supposed to be done. It's like now he finna kill all of us. So things go crazy. And God get upset now. And we enter the scene where God get upset and Moses is trying to plead for the people before God in verse 44. It says, and the Lord spake unto Moses saying, get you up from among this congregation that I may consume them as in a moment. And they fell upon their faces. And Moses said unto Aaron, take a censer and put fire therein from off the altar and put on incense and go quickly unto the congregation and make atonement for them. For there is wrath gone out from the Lord. The plague is begun. And Aaron took as Moses commanded and ran into the midst of the congregation. And behold, the plague was begun among the people. And he put on incense and made an atonement for the people. And he stood between the dead and the living and the plague was stayed. Now they that died in the plague were 14,700 beside them that died about the matter of Korah. And Aaron returned unto Moses unto the door of the tabernacle of the congregation. And the plague was stayed. Now that is awesome. But get the picture. Moses praying. God is telling him, get back, Moses. Stand back. I'm finna kill them all. And what Moses did is say they fell on their faces. Turned to Moses and Aaron. That's who was in there with him. They fell on their faces. And then Moses get up and give a command to Aaron. And what did Aaron do? He took incense. The thing that represents prayer. And he told him to go in the midst of the congregation and make an atonement for the people. So he got his little incense. And he running out there. With a little thing, smoking, burning. And it says he stood between the living and the dead. And the plague was stopped. That's amazing. So you see the priest of God brought about a change into the condition of the people who were not right with God by putting himself in the midst of the people and offering up to God that thing that he delighted in. And it said he stood in between the dead and the living. And so you, I just get the picture in my head of him running through the camp with his little fire. I'm saying he got the little thing, the incense burning and the smoking. And once he get to the place where the plague is coming through the camp, he stops there and he's standing there. He probably scared and trembling because <laughs> he see the bodies dropping. Dead bodies all around him, living bodies all behind him. He said the plague stops so that the thing that was destroyed did not go beyond him, but it stopped with him and he had the power to effect change. All by offering up to God the thing that he supposed to have been offering day by day, every day. But he moved from his tabernacle service into the midst of the people and it was able to bring a change. 
And we are the people of God, the servants of God, the ministers of God, who are supposed to be offering up these incense unto God. And if we can put ourselves in the midst of the people, in between the living and the dead, could we bring about the same change that Aaron brought about? Is it possible for us to preserve life through our act or through our work of intercession and putting ourselves in the midst of the people? Because this is who we are. Now let's see the opposite picture. Go to Ezekiel chapter 22. Ezekiel 22, verse 23, I think that won't. Yeah, 22, 23. It says, and the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, Son of man, say unto her, Thou art a land that is not cleansed, nor rained upon in the day of indignation. A conspiracy of her prophets in the midst thereof, like a roaring lion raving in the prey, they have devoured souls. They have taken the treasure and precious things. They have made her many widows in the midst thereof. Her priests have violated my law and have profaned my holy things. They have put no difference between the holy and the profane. Neither have they shewed difference between the unclean and the clean and have hid their eyes from my Sabbaths and have profaned among them. Just pause and try to get you to understand what's going on here. This is God's charge against the children of Israel. And what he got is, he said, y'all are in some trouble. Things ain't right. You a land that ain't clean. And when the indignation come, ain't no rain. So ain't no relief that going on in y'all. And he began to lay why it is so. And he gets to the priest. And he said, the priests are violating his laws. So those who are supposed to be the standards, those who are supposed to be the separated ones that brings about the difference between holy and profane, between clean and unclean, they're not doing that. And this is a part of the judgment that he bringing against the people. That we got some folks, these separated people, they ain't separate. They themselves are unrighteous. They themselves have lost their distinction and they're not showing that distinction in the world. So the priests are supposed to be showing the world the difference between clean and unclean, the difference between holy and unholy, the difference between righteous and unrighteous. This is who they're supposed to be. They're not fulfilling their duties. And this is a part of the charge that God is bringing against the people. In verse 27, said her princes in the midst thereof are like wolves raving in the prey to share blood and to destroy souls to get dishonest gain. So he moves from the priests. To the princes, the princes are another word for the royal rulers, the kings, the government. They are the people like raving and wolves. So you give the picture, they're preying on people. They're taking advantage. They're lying in their own pockets. They're misusing their power and their authority to make themselves rich, to get themselves fat. They're taking advantage of the poor. This is what the government is doing. So the priests, they low down, they dirty, they ain't living right. The politicians, the leaders, they greedy, they lying in their pockets, they taking advantage of folks. Then he go down to the prophets in verse 28. So prophets have daubed them with untempered mortar, seeing vanity and divining lies unto them, saying, Thou shalt, thus said the Lord God, when the Lord hath not spoken. So the prophets ain't making no better. So you got the priests who's supposed to be in the example. 
They ain't an example of nothing. You got the political leaders who's, who's supposed to be the ones taking care and executing judgment and righteousness. But all they're doing is taking care of themselves and, and lining their own pockets. And you got the prophets who's supposed to be telling them what God said because they ain't doing all that stuff. And he said they like ones who dabbing them with untempered mortar. So it's a mortar that ain't set right. And you got a building that's about to decay and they just spackling that stuff on there. Making it look good. Just, just, just spackling it on there. We got rotted wood behind there. We got pipes that's been corroded. And what we're going to do, we're going to spackle it, cover it up, and keep it going. He's saying that's what the prophets were doing. How were they doing that? Because they speaking vanity and divining lies. So they're going around lying to the people instead of telling them what God said. They're saying God said when God didn't say. And at the time we we're looking at this, this is during the time before the captivity. So what you got is they're living their lives and everything is going good. But they don't know that they're under the judgment of God. They're just going on about their day. But God's hand is against them. But the prophets are rising up and saying, hey, everything good. We great. We blessed. Blessed in the city, blessed in the field, blessed when we come and when we go. That's what the prophet's saying. And you got little folk like Ezekiel, a young boy at this time, and you got Jeremiah going around telling them, hey, God mad and he finna kill everybody. Y'all better turn around and get right. They ain't listening to them because they got boatloads of prophets telling them, God say everything cool. God say everything good. We blessed. We prosperous. Everything good. Not knowing that in a little bit it's going to be all over. But this is a part of the condition that they find themselves under. This is a part of the judgment. The folk who supposed to be the examples, they ain't living right. Doesn't sound for me. Yeah, that's that, what to do. Dirty deacons all over the place. But that's a whole nother conversation. Go to verse 30. We ain't gonna even start down that line. Huh? Ezekiel 22. 29 said the people of the land have used oppression and exercised robbery have vexed the poor and needy yea they have oppressed the stranger role so he went from the the priests to the politicians to the prophets not just the regular people the regular people out there they're just wild and they robbing folks and doing whatever it is they can so the nation messed up but in verse 30 he says and i sought for a man among them that should make up the hedge and stand in the gap before the land that i should not destroy it but i found none so in the midst of this time, where God's judgment is getting ready to come upon the place, God said he sought for a man that might stand in the, that might make up the hedge. So there's a gap between these people and God, and he wanted somebody to pull them together, to get in the middle, to make up the hedge, to stand in the gap. So I ain't find nobody. Therefore, in verse 31, have I poured out my indignation upon them? I have consumed them with the fire of my wrath. Their own way have I recompensed upon their heads, saith the Lord God. So since there was nobody to make up the heads, since there was nobody to intercede and to plead for these people, I killed them. But that gives you an example in the negative that it is possible for people standing in between wickedness and the righteous God to make a change on this planet. If there was somebody who had arisen 
If the priests would have been the priests, if the prophets would have been the prophets, there's a possibility that change could have came to the nation. But what about doing their job? So destruction came. So just like we saw in the positive with Aaron, that he had the ability to affect change for a nation of people who were in rebellion against God, we see the negative that the absence of an Aaron has the ability to allow the negative to spread and the death to, pro- to proceed to the bounds of judgment. But we are supposed to be this people of priests. We are supposed to be the ones that stand in the gap, the ones that minister before the Lord. This is our job and our duty. Go to Isaiah 56. Isaiah 56 verse, we'll start at one. It said, thus said the Lord, keep you judgment and do justice for my salvation is near to come and my righteousness to be revealed. Blessed is the man that doeth this and the son of man that layeth hold on it, that keepeth the Sabbath from polluting it and keepeth his hand from doing any evil. Neither let the son of the stranger that hath joined himself to the Lord speak, saying, The Lord hath utterly separated me from his people. Neither let the eunuch say, Behold, I am a dry tree. For thus said the Lord unto the eunuch that keep my Sabbaths and choose the things that please me and take hold of my covenant. Even unto them will I give my house. And within my walls as a place and a name better than of sons and of daughters, I will give them an everlasting name that shall not be cut off. So we got here is, is, is Isaiah's prophesying a time of righteousness being revealed to the people of God's salvation coming. And he said the folks who are doing right at this time, they're going to be blessed. Then he gives an example of two cut off people said to the stranger that joined himself to the Lord. Don't say I'm cut off. So a switch is going to take place in this time of righteousness where those who are strangers, those who are outside, they're not going to be able to say they're cut off. Then he goes to the eunuch, which is a a strange thing for us to read. But it makes sense if we understand, I think it's Deuteronomy chapter 23. It makes the statement that those who are mutilated in their genital areas, they can't serve in the household of God. So they cut off. Man get his stuff messed up, he can't be in the household of God. So now in this prophecy, Isaiah is saying to the eunuch, no longer say you are cut off, that you are a dry tree. But I'm going to make a place for you and I'm going to make a name for you in my house. So in this time of God's salvation coming, a change is going to happen that brings those who are distanced into a place. And he said, I'm going to give you a name greater than that of the sons and you shall never be cut off. So he's going to do a work that's so great that's going to elevate these people above sons and daughters. Like how you get above sons and daughters, I don't know. But God going to make them that great name. So in this time of salvation, there's a change, a restoration that claims, and those who are far off are now not being brought now into the kingdom of God. And God's kingdom is allowing those who once could not be kings, who could not be priests, who could not serve the Lord. Now they're able to serve the Lord, the stranger, the eunuch. All of these are examples of cut off people. But once God's salvation is revealed, they're no longer cut off. They're restored. They have a place, a name greater than sons and daughters. 
In verse 6, also the, of the stranger that joined himself to the Lord to serve him and to love the name of the Lord, to be his servant, everyone that keepeth the Sabbath from polluting and taking hold of my covenant. Even then will I bring to my holy mountain and make them joyful in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and their sacrifices shall be accepted upon my altar, for my house shall be called a house of prayer for all people. The Lord was gathered the outcasts of Israel, said, Yet will I gather others unto him besides those that are gathered unto him. So we got this picture of him gathering in this time of salvation when God's righteousness is revealed, those who do not qualify, being qualified, and he bringing them to his house. And in bringing them to his house, you notice what he called it. It ain't his house of worship. It's not his house of blessing. It ain't even, he don't even refer to it as his temple. He said his house of prayer. Because his house shall be called a house of prayer for all nations. So in this gathering of the people, in this bringing in the outcasts, in this bringing in of those who are unqualified and establishing the righteousness of God, God establishes a house of prayer for all people. So all nations can benefit. All nations are welcome to come into this house of prayer. This is what God's house is supposed to be. And it is important that we fulfill this role. Because we are the people that have access to God. We are the people that are chosen by God. We are his choice Jews. The rest of the world, they can't get to God. The rest of the world, they cannot intercede. The rest of the world don't got a right to even be talking to God. We God's people. So let's get the picture. If God hand of indignation can be stayed, can be stopped, if blessings can be brought down through the prayers of people. And the vast majority of the world are not qualified to do so. What hope does the world have? And let's paint this picture all the way out. Go to Proverbs. Proverbs chapter 15. Let's see how necessary it is for y'all do y'all job Proverbs 15 verse 28 says the heart of the righteous study it to answer but the mouth of the wicked poured out evil things the Lord is far from the wicked but he heard the prayer of the righteous so the righteous they take their time they study they, they, they focus on a matter before they respond but the mouth of the wicked they just be they blurting out any old little thing and it says, the Lord is far from the wicked, but he hears the, the prayer of the righteous. So between God and the wicked, there's a gap. But the prayer of the righteous, God is listening to that. Go to Proverbs 28. Proverbs 28 verse 9 says, he that turneth away his ear from hearing the law, even his prayer shall be abomination. I'll read that again. He that turneth away his ear from hearing the law, even his prayer shall be an abomination. So those who don't take heed to God's word and God's law, God's saying, your prayer stink. It made me want to throw up. That's what the prayers of the wicked is. So they're in a place where they can't get access to all the blessings we got. Go to Psalm 66. Psalm 66, 18. I think it is says, if I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me, but verily God hath heard me. He hath attended to the voice of my prayer. So if I got sin in me 
If, 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 if there's some iniquity that is dear to me, some, some badness that's, that's inside of me, he said, God ain't gonna hear me. And this is the state of the vast majority of the world. As old folks say, they can't get one through. God only hears the prayers of the righteous. Go to Isaiah 59. Isaiah 59 verse 1. It says, Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save, neither his ear heavy that it cannot hear. But your iniquities have separated between you and your God, and your sins have hid his face from you that he will not hear. This is God, continuous thing. So God's hand ain't shortened. So these people are looking and wondering why God ain't saving, why God ain't doing this, why God ain't doing that. God is saying, it ain't that I can't. Your sins have separated between me and you. So when you praying, I ain't hearing it. It ain't that I can't respond to your call. It ain't that I can't stop this wickedness. It ain't that I can't preserve you in the midst of this food. I ain't. Because when you praying, I ain't listening to you. Because of your sins. And this is the state of the whole world. The world lies in wickedness. The world lies in darkness. The world is in a state where they're cut off from God. But the world is in a state where they need God. And they need the mercy of God. And they need the kindness of God. They need the protection of God. But they can't get one through. But God has separated a people. To be here and left us here on this planet to serve him, to be his ministers, to be his house of prayer for all nations. Even Peter picks up on the same thing in first Peter chapter three. He says that the eyes of the Lord is towards the righteous. And he take heed to that prayer, but the wicked, he ain't got no time for that. That might translate. He ain't got no time for the wicked. So we have a job and we have an obligation to serve as the people of God, to send up prayers to God. And this is a part of our duty as our obligation to preserve in this world. We, need, we, we got a job to do. The world dying. And they need us to stand before the living God in the midst of this dead people and stop the plague. The plague of sin, the plague of wickedness, the plague of death and destruction that's tearing up our families. We have a right to do something and we have an obligation to do something as the ministers of God. To We need to be in before God, sending up them prayers, sending up that sweet odor, serving and ministering to God because God takes delight in the prayers of the righteous. But he only hear the prayers of the wicked. So they can't get now through. But we are the righteous people. We have the ability to affect change in this world because of our relationship to this great and mighty God. Anybody got any questions?